Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is presented by Gatorade. Gatorade knows there are many paths to greatness. Sometimes it starts with having a goal. Sometimes you need to show a little grit. Sometimes the journey is a grind. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it because greatness starts with G. Also, check out our newest podcast, Swagoo and Perk, led by its namesake host, former NFL veteran and analyst and good friend of mine, Marcus Spears, Swagoo, of course, and then NBA champion and analyst Kendrick Perkins. New episodes every Tuesday morning, Swagoo and Perk will bring listeners the latest NBA NFL news as well as a look inside their lives with can't-miss conversations. That is Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Minicom Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks running into light boxes means you have just knocked over the recycling. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And I am super, oh, thank you for laughing. I have a joke, Matt Bowen. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for having me on, Mina. I appreciate that, too. Uh, we just a good week because last week, well, it, actually, it's funny. So I don't know if you haven't listened, but last week I did kind of a conceit where I said uh, I had Arifa on on and I said, let's talk about the weird teams. And um, sure. we talked about the Bengals, Titans, and by weird, I mean like just teams I was having trouble getting my arms around. I used the word arms around like or phrase like 20 times. So it was the Bengals, Vikings, and Titans, and then they all won. Mm-hmm. So apparently I am the blessing, um, the reverse curse on teams. And if I talk about you, you w- you'll win. However, this week, the games are actually awesome. So uh, I, I hit you up and I said, you know what? Let's just talk about four of these games because – I am excited about them and I want to get into it. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I, honestly, there are other games like Cowboys Vikings could potentially be a good game. I think I Bucks, agree on that one. Yeah. yeah Bucks Saints could even be spicy, but I, I sent you four games. The fourth of which is Thursday night football, which we'll do at the end. Uh, Cause I think a lot of folks listen to this on Thursday or later. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is the last one I was thinking about, uh, which is to say, I, I, I told you right before I got on, I was like, yeah, I, I was watching Patriots jets on the plane um, I don't know how instructive it was necessarily, but we've talked <laughs> about that. But Patriots Chargers is this week, and I am incredibly excited for this game. I don't know how – like, I think this could be really close. No, I think it's a great game. Uh, we're going to do that for the NFL matchup show this week. And that's where I'll start because, look, new offensive coordinator, new coaching staff for Justin Herbert. But last year against Bill Belichick, what he did in some instances mm-hmm. was – a lot of late movement, a lot of, a lot of disguise meter, right? Rolling the coverage late, showing single high man, then rotating the cover three, trying to condense those throwing windows. And he got him a couple of times because, again, he's a young quarterback, first time going against Belichick. We understand how that works. But the key to this game, one of the keys, is what Keenan Allen does with this football team. Now, we know Keenan Allen. You know, Keenan Allen is not a deep ball threat, not a vert- consistent vertical threat down the field. He is an underneath, middle-of-the-field target. He's so critical to this offense on, on third downs. And this year, Keenan Allen, I think, has 12 first down receptions when you put together third and fourth down situations. So that's where the football is going. So what is Bill Belichick going to do in those situations to take him away? We know Belichick in the past have used, has used bracket coverage. I like to call it dedicated doubles. Yeah. But again, how can now L.A. counter that? And what I'm going to show on the matchup show, I think it's kind of cool because it's really – it's not a highlight play. It's not a vertical throw down the field. These are third and three, third and five, third and six plays where L.A. will use pre-snap movement and alignment to get Keenan Allen free access off the football. I think that's such a big part of this game. Who can win third downs? 
What can Belichick do to take Keenan Allen away? How can L.A. counter? And how can they create throwing windows for Justin Herbert to move the ball in those situations? So I would be more optimistic as a Patriots fan about this side of the football if uh, they weren't so ravaged by injuries in the secondary. And that was really the the big, I mean, just things to kind of take away going into this week. Um, So... Devin McCourty got hurt. He had the abdominal injury. I think he'll play. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, the big one is Jonathan Jones, right? So they're kind of like, they've been moving all the DBs around. And I think to your point about like, okay, well, how do you handle Keenan Allen? Can you do the thing the Patriots usually do? What did you call it? Dedicated doubles? Is that your phrase for it? Everyone uses a different phrase for, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like the the Patriots thing that they do with the the number one. Um, I'm not sure, man, because they're really running out of dudes back there. Um, you know, obviously, I guess J.C. Jackson opposite him in the last game, they had Jawan Williams on the outside, and then they moved Jalen mm-hmm. Mills to the inside uh, um, yeah. with McCourty out. I, but to me, like, a, a lot of it also has to do with um, what they can do up front, where I actually think they do have an advantage. Uh, again, now, again, this is – you talked about last year how they, they tricked J- Herbert or gave him a lot of problems with some of the – post-snap movement and disguise they were using. But I, I think like in terms of just like straight up, okay, where do Pats have an advantage in this game aside from what they can do on the back end schematically? I think up front, their pass rush versus the Chargers offensive line can give them an, an advantage, especially on early downs. I agree with that and how they do their pass rush. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have a scheme transcendent pass rusher in New England. They just don't. Uh, I mean, they have guys that fit what they want to do. They're going to give you multiple fronts. They're going to lose a lot of, loops and twists and stunts up front. They're going to overload one side of the formation. And what I mean by that is the offensive line, and they're going to wrap someone inside. So they're going to try to create open rush lanes to get to Justin Herbert. Here's the one thing about Herbert. Okay. And you watch Herbert on tape this year. Uh, very efficient from the pocket. We know they struggled, was it, two weeks ago against yeah. Baltimore. And that's oh, that's yeah. how this league works sometimes. It's a tough – those games are hard to win. And he had an off day. Okay. But overall, if you look at his tape this year, so efficient from the pocket. To your point, I think he's going to have to make some plays outside of structure in this football game. Yeah, I think Belichick will take certain things away from him. I think he's going to have to escape, extend, get to the edge of the pocket. But I'm telling you, and I was talking with Greg Cosell, my matchup, my teammate in NFL matchup about this. When Justin Herbert gets outside the pocket, we don't see it as often as Josh Allen. But he has the same physical tools. Yeah. He has the same physical tools when he gets out the edge of the pocket to escape, extend, create those second reaction plays, both as a runner and a thrower. And again, going back to your point, because – of Bill Belichick's ability to scheme pass rushers with his fronts, I think Herbert's going to have to do some of that this week. I agree. And I think, you know, against the Ravens, I mean, the Ravens are, there's some similarities with New England insofar as um, they both play a ton of man, right? And you're going to, they both uh, use a ton of trickery up front, if you want to call it that. But um, yeah. You know, they, they, Don Wing Martindale, Don, why do I call him Don? Wing Martindale really had Herbert on tilt, right? Especially on third downs yeah. in this last game. And I think it's really going to come down to, like you said, like it's not just, it's like, okay, if the picture changes post snap and suddenly they've got a free rusher you didn't see coming, like, will you move? You know what I mean? Because skill player wise, right. you have better players. Like if, if you move and extend plays, Mike Williams and Keenan, Keenan Allen, they will get open <laughs> at some point. So I think it, it's going to, they're going to need some of that like rookie season, Justin Herbert extending plays. Well, we've seen it this year too, but it's not just about operating and structure in this game in particular to me. No, I agree. And also one, one other key matchup to look at, if they do 
especially in those critical down and distance situations like we talked about. They're going to take away Keenan Allen. They're going to have Dime out there, six defensive backs, and they're going to try to take him away. Can Mike Williams win those matchups? When Mike Williams is aligned into the boundary, you know, you know the backside of a three-by-one set, you know, we call it the boundary X receiver. Can he win those matchups? I think that is a critical part of this game, too. The ability just to run slant and fade to the backside of the formation because we've seen multiple times this year with Herbert, he can throw a location, he can throw a yeah. touch, and he can make those plays in those one-on-one matchups. And you could argue that like three or four Mike Williams, not just drops, but not winning at the line of scrimmage um, uh, targets for him were not the difference in the last game, but mm-hmm. certainly a big part of the reason why uh, the Chargers came up short, especially because they were targeting targeting him so much early on. Um, so I, on the other side of the ball, Matt, my question is, I, I want to see what adjustments Brandon Staley has made post by to better defend the run. Justin Jones is coming back. Huge, huge uh, for them up front. But this is one of the worst run defenses in football. And you know Bill Belichick is coming in ready to pound the rock. No, I agree with that. And they've been poor on tape. And it's not just scheme. I mean, yeah. you look at what the, what's happening in the interior of the defensive line. And I, I you, you look at the Baltimore game, that's a unique run game because of Lamar and the threat of him carrying the football and what it does to influence defenses. The tape I wanted to look at, you know, in, in terms of trying to preview this matchup is what Cleveland did to uh, L.A. up front. And obviously a lot of zone run. They ran some gap, which is also power. But just, I mean, just washing guys up front, okay, just washing guys out of their gaps. And then when you get to the second level, the tackling has been very poor. You know, I don't, I don't think we talk about this enough. And maybe this is me talking as a high school coach. Because at, at our level, it's not so much about scheme. It's about fundamentals. But if you're playing Damian Harris this week, a downhill power run game you're going to get from New England, if you can't maintain gap control, if you can't cut off the ball on the edge, and you can't tackle at the second and third level, forget about it. And really, when you look at it, Brandon is <laughs> a very smart coach, one yeah. of the smartest minds in today's NFL. So Brandon Staley will have adjustments, like you said. Maybe we see uh, more five-man surface fronts, okay, to cut off the ball on the edge. Uh, maybe we see some early down run blitzes, weak side blitzes, rotating the safety down, trying to fit or get an extra number in the box. But really, when I look at the tape, I say, well, you know, how much are we going to look at scheme or how much are we look at what are our guys not doing? Why can't we hold the point? Why can't we cut off the ball at the second level? You know, when our safeties and linebackers fill, why are we stuck out of position when we're trying to arm tackle Nick Chubb on tape? It's not going to work. It's not, especially not in this game, because we know what's going to come out of that. It's going to be early down run and then early down play action with Mac Jones. So there's a lot of things that go into this because that's what that Patriots offense is. And I'll say this about Mac Jones. I was talking again with Greg Cosell, and I don't know what it is, but there's something there. There's something. And you can't really quantify what it is. But Mac Jones sees it fast. He can read it out from the pocket. He can throw a location and timing. Okay, and that's yeah. why that pass game works. Because Mac Jones, if you look at the four quarterbacks who were drafted ahead of him, he does not have the high-level traits of those players. He just doesn't. But what he does has is the ability to work and manage an NFL pocket see it, get it out in time, and put it where it's supposed to go. And that's working for them right now. And they seem to have, like, really figured out over the last, I would say, two weeks in particular, sort of a melding of their offense with his skill set, which was, um, I can't remember the last time I talked about the Patriots offense, but it was before that, Matt. I was I, I talked about I was a little bit frustrated 
uh, that there weren't, you know, that they weren't just putting him in the gun, spreading it out. There weren't more RPOs, the stuff he did so well in college, you know, and right. also that he wasn't pushing it downfield at all, which, yes, he doesn't have like a gigantic arm, but he does have deep ball touch. You saw that sure. in the last game. Uh, I think it was Kendrick Bourne, not Aguilar. On the, the, you had the deep ball. It was like a over 40 yards, I want to say, mm-hmm. on the left sideline. But um, in this, like, you know, obviously it's the Jets. You know, we, before that, uh, it was the Cowboys. But um, with that caveat, it's still watching this offense today, the New England offense, it feels like they've kind of finally figured out how to optimize not only his skill set, but also the skill players they have. Um, Orlovsky and I were talking about Johnny Smith and how frustrated we've been with his usage. In this game, right. they use him more as that move tight end, just getting the ball in I his agree. hands because he's a playmaker. You know what I mean? And he had that one screen. Uh, granted, again, the Jets linebackers, woof. But um, <laughs> it was a really well-blocked screen, and, and he's a really athletic player. And it, it kind of feels like, okay, finally they figured out, these are our pieces, this is our quarterback, um, and, and we can, you know – push the ball downfield aggressively and not just check, you know, check down Charlie and run, run, run. I agree. Because we look at New England as their offense, they're not dynamic. I mean, they're not, they're not an explosive play offense and they don't have a lot of explosive play talent on that offense. You mentioned Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. I know, I know Aguilar has some vertical juice. We saw that a lot last year when he was with Vegas, but they are a very system-based, scheme-heavy offense. And again, that fits his skill set at the NFL level. I agree with you on John Smith. Uh, I think John Smith can be utilized or deployed in multiple ways. I think he can be your slot target. I think he can be your motion movement player. With Hunter Henry as your seam stretcher, that's what he is. I mean, he's a middle field target that can stretch the seams and create conflict for safeties. But when you look at their offense, it's still, to me, it's old school, right? It's old school football. That's that's what New England is right now. It's old school football with a pocket quarterback who I think is in the top five right now in terms of completion percentage in the NFL uh, because he is getting it out. He is seeing it. He understands where the windows are going to be. He can anticipate very well. And you are, to your point, man, you are playing to his strengths in terms of where he fits at the professional level. And that's why they're having offensive success. I think both of these offenses have an edge in this game. I feel like Anyone who just listened to us talk the last 15 minutes would come away with that conclusion. I don't know who has the edge overall, though. This is a really, I'm having a lot of trouble picking this one because, like, I do think whenever I say it's going to be high scoring, it's inevitably not high scoring. But I do think both, um, both quarterbacks, you know, just from a matchup perspective, Matt, I think both can really do what they want versus these defenses, which really sounds basic. But, um, but overall, I think it's going to come down to kind of what we've just discussed, which is can the Patriots figure out what they're doing on the back end with some of these injuries? Mm-hmm. And can um, the Chargers, on the other hand, not let up approximately 15 yards per carry up front? Right, right. And one more thing I'll add, and, and I was thinking about this earlier this week. Whenever Bill Belichick goes against uh, a back with high-level receiving skills, which Austin Eckler has, watch and see how many times they pressure against the back. And the reason mm. they'll do that is to make sure he stays in protection. Ooh. They'll force him to stay in. And they'll bring extra numbers so he has to stay in. Now, when he flexes outside, you know, one of the answers to that is go empty, right? Yeah. Go empty, yeah. get your back outside, and then you got the matchup you want, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's a dime safety, uh, whatever that may be. We'll see how that plays out. But it, when Austin Eckler's in that backfield, don't be surprised if Belichick goes after him just to keep him in there. Not so much mm-hmm. about heating up the quarterback. It's more about saying, we're not going to let you, you run it back, get out into the route tree. 
Oh, he had a trouble with that, by the way, uh, last or two weeks ago or whenever he played the Ravens, Eckler was getting sassed. Um, okay, Titans Colts. I, I have just a very simple question for you uh, from the okay. perspective of the Colts defense versus the Titans offense. Colts defense is very good against the run. Uh, last week, we saw, speaking of getting sassed, a, a Chiefs defense that, of course, is horrible against the run, uh, just get absolutely brutalized by a Titans offense that was really doing exactly what you'd imagine they wanted to do going into this season um, with the play action pass and, you know, AJ Brown and Julio and all that. Let me ask you this. If you're the Colts, you know, with the Titans, it's kind of like a pick your poison situation. And the Chiefs, I thought to their detriment, really overcommitted to stopping the run. Frankly, I think most defenses are better off, um, being, you know, paying more attention to the two big wide receivers than to Derrick Henry. How do you think the Colts should go about approaching it? Well, it depends because one thing about Derrick Henry this year, I think it's interesting, is they're running the ball more this year out of 11 personnel. Okay, and the reason they would do that, obviously, is to get you know, force the defense to bring their stuff package in the field. And then a lot of times you're getting a six-man run box, what you're getting. Uh, especially against a zone-heavy team like the Colts, your, your slot defender, your overhang defender will be really not an account for the run game. He'll be an overhang in between the slot and the edge of the formation. Um, you know, I went back and watched the tape. You know, I think I, I almost forgot this and that they played already this year. And I went back to week three and watched some of it today. And, and Tennessee had success running the football, doing their stuff, okay, mm-hmm. inside-outside zone. Ran yeah. some gap and they started running some gap when the Colts went to a five man front. And the reason teams go to a five man front usually is obviously to get numbers up front, but you get wide edges to cut off the ball in outside zone, force it to cut back inside where your linebacker should be able to fit and fill in the run. Well, and that the response from Tennessee at times is a run, run power. Okay. You're going to run a mm-hmm. five man front, we'll pull people. Let's give Derrick Henry uh, a clear roadmap of where to go with the football. We'll move you, get to the second level. Um, the toughest part for me, Mina, if I'm trying to prepare against this team, is I got to have numbers in the box, right? I got to have some number advantage in the box. I also have to defend play action. And the play action is the thing because you saw it last week and you brought up a great point. You know, the beginning of the season with Tennessee, the offense then till now, I think is different because this is the true identity of the Tennessee Titans. It's Derrick Henry for 25, 30 carries. That's, that's what you're going to get. Yes. It's play action throws of Ryan Tannehill where he steps – through the play action, he hits the back foot, and he drives the ball through his target. That's how confident he is throwing those passes because he knows it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. To beat Tennessee or to, to limit their offense, one, you have to be able to take away crosses and inbreakers. That's where A.J. Brown yep. is going to make his money. You have to win the one-on-ones because, look, when A.J. Brown is outside or in the slot, there comes the fade balls down the field. You have to get Ryan Tannehill in drop-back situations. No different than playing Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. No different than playing Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Because I think those quarterbacks are scheme-dependent quarterbacks, where they rely so much on the system, especially the play-action game, to give them those second-level windows where they can see it, where they can trust it. And when they start throwing the ball so decisively that when they do hit that back foot, the thing's out now. It's out. Okay? And those windows are going to be there. So if I'm a coach, but I you know, here's the thing. I got, I have to limit Henry. I have to find a way to limit Henry. Mm-hmm. That's the toughest part about Derrick Henry is he can go 3, 6, 3, 2, 1, and 85. Right? And you, know, and you throw your hands up and say, what are we doing? Because if you miss tackles, you don't fit the run right. And you got a DB coming up who really doesn't want to hit Derrick Henry, let's be honest. That's when you get into trouble. That's when you get into big trouble. Uh, what I think the Colts will do, 
I think they'll play their defense. You know, they're zone heavy. I looked it up uh, uh, today, I Mina. Mean, they're over 63% zone coverage. Everyone's going to play yeah. some, man. That's tough. It's not, tough. not get an it's answer tough. from you, Matt Bowen. No, no um, you're not, it, you're not it's right impossible. I do think, I do think like, you'd rather, it, yeah, it, it's, well, certainly we see the Titans offense get thwarted all the time. I do think it's like the, the, Deep shots off of play action, like that. That's such an explosive element. To you can't be giving up those twenty yard plus, you know, deep digs to AJ Brown. You can't. Um, no. Now the next, you know, the next time the Chiefs successfully defend a play action pass will be the first time. So it's a very different team. But I, I think for your like, India is a very we do what we do type defense, right? Um, and they're yeah. also, I actually just checked, they're, they're actually first in rushing DVOA defensively, 22nd in passing. So um, mm. it really comes down to like, can they at least get, can they get pressure on Brian Tannehill? Finally, you saw a little bit of action from Quiddy Pay in this last game, the rookie, uh, which mm-hmm. was good to see, I'm sure. But the pass rush has not been consistent so far. And then I think, you know, with Julian Blackman out now yeah. um, and some of the issues they've got in the back end, yeah, it's like, okay, well, it's not, man. Just the, the combination of wide receivers is such a rare complement of skill sets. But um, I think, you know, so Xavier Rhodes came back and had obviously the big uh, fumble recovery or the forced turnover rather, but he has not been great this year too. So I'm not really sure if they, I, to me, it really, really starts up front and then really trying to just contain the explosives and keep everything in front of them. You're right. Sometimes we, we make this too complicated than it really is. Because there's only so much you can do with 11 players in the field. You can't recreate football. You can't re- re- recreate your defense in one week. And the Colts are a very defined defense. That's what they are. Yeah. They're in their defined defense. A lot of split safety, single high zone. They'll play their man. They'll bring their slot pressure with Kenny Moore. They'll do things like that. But you're going to have to find a way to mix fronts against Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to mix fronts. Both your, your base fronts against 12 and 21 personnel and your sub-package fronts against 11. Yeah. You're going to have to mix your fronts, totally. give them different looks, because you can't just line up in one defense yeah. against Derrick Henry because he's going to get 25, 30 carries. He's going to wear you out. And By the fourth quarter, you're not going to tackle him anymore. You're not and going it's like, to. And it's old school as it gets. And if yeah, and you're going to get destroyed over the top if you if you you know you're going to have to rely on your some safeties and corners that you're not necessarily comfortable with all the time. Other uh, otherwise, you just don't have an op a chance against this passing attack. Um, so I I have a, a proposal on the other side of the ball. So Titans defense uh, has drastically improved uh, in recent weeks. Really, for me, it's all about the pass rush. Um, I was just tweeting about this, but like I, I was so impressed with what they did against Kansas City, and really without blitzing that four man rush. Harold Landry, yep. superstar this season, but uh, beyond him and, and Dupree, um, Danico Achi was an absolute monster in the Chiefs game, and um, I really like what they do up front. So, it, it, but in the back end, as you know, Matt, um, they are devastated by injuries in Tennessee. I mean, their their guys will be coming back, and you know, but it's a problem for them. So, if I'm the Colts. Um, I do just want to suggest this to you. I do basically exactly what I did in this, the San Francisco game, which is I run the ball a lot and then I throw up a lot of, a lot of PI prayers. Cause I actually think it'll work in this game too. <laughs> you know, Mina, that's one thing with Carson Wentz. I think that's where he wants to go with the football. Carson Wentz wants to attack third level. That's what he wants to do. If you look at the plays this year, especially the sacks, there's a lot of times when Carson Wentz, in my opinion, holds on the ball a little bit too long because he wants that deep ball target to show. 
his primary target to show over the top mm. where he can stretch the field. That's what he wants to do as a quarterback because he has the arm talent and just uh, naturally he's an aggressive thrower. Now, Frank Reich has done an excellent job scheming for Carson oh, Wentz. A lot of play action, good, a lot of crosses. He's such a good play caller. He is. What they do in the red zone, especially against split. Oh, they, my they, God. Some, uh, the touchdown in the uh, the Niners game, the, the Ali Cox one, with the, it was a play mm-hmm. action with Michael Pittman Jr. setting the pick. Oh, that yep. was the, oh the week perfect. before, what they mm. did again, again, I didn't think we'd talk about the Houston Texans, but the week before they did against the Houston Texans, I understand they're a very talented official roster, but it's still scheme and scheme. You know, it's still yeah. stuff that NFL defenses run. What they did to too deep, yeah. I mean, they schemed the heck out of it. They did. They're, so they're going to give them opportunities. Uh, what they're doing up front right now is really good. Jonathan Taylor in his last two games, over 250 yards rushing, averaging over seven and a half yards per carry. Uh, you're seeing why um, he was drafted as a high second round yes. pick because of his explosive playability. But also you're seeing a much more mature runner. That's what I think compared to the, you know, the first half of his rookie season, which we understand. And again, that's that's on me. It's on all of us in our business. Sometimes we expect rookies to be great immediately and they're not. But he's such a more mature runner because of his patience, his vision. And then he can utilize those natural traits, those natural gifts he has as a runner. That's the second level burst. That's the long speed to rip off explosive plays, but also to find daylight and to use that jump cut ability. And what they have up front right now with that offensive line is pretty nasty. They're playing it's well. Pretty nasty. They are they playing are. really well. They're moving um, people off the ball. So if you're a coach and you're at a lower level, college or high school level, you want to get your hands on this Colts tape if you're running the offensive line and say, watch Quentin Nelson, watch how they combo block, and absolutely drive this guy off the football. That's what you want to see from the offensive front. Um, and that's a good – you brought up – I want to get back to the Titans defense real quick. You brought up an excellent point because everyone that, – that was the big game we all talked about uh, last Sunday and obviously throughout the week was mm-hmm. Tennessee's win, what they did to Patrick Mahomes. And, again, it's your four-man rush. Because you can't do it without front four. You cannot. You can. I don't care what coverage you play against Patrick Mahomes. If you're not going to pressure him, you better have a front four that can create some heat in that pocket. And that's what they did. But also what they did in the secondary. You you mentioned they are so banged up back there. They are so banged up. But if you play with zone discipline, you play at the proper depth. You understand where routes break. You understand what Patrick Mahomes wants to do with the football, which is attack vertically. You can force him to be impatient. You can force some unnecessary movement with that pressure up front. And you can force an entire offense that is built on explosive play talent and explosive play ability to become very, very frustrated. And that's what happened last week because of their defensive front and because the guys in the back seven were coached well, were yeah. executed well, and played within the structure of that defense. And that's going to yeah. continue to happen to Kansas City. I know we'll talk about it some other time. That's going to continue to happen. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, and of course, you know, the Titans have good safeties. Um, but I've, so my Hooker wasn't in this excellent. game. Byard's playing excellent. And Dane Creekshank, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Um, but, mm-hmm. dude, he was handling Travis Kelsey. Uh, the third and I seven know. where uh, Patrick got sacked on the first drive. If you uh, rewatch it. He wants to go to Kelsey. He goes yeah. to Hill, then he goes back to Kelsey, then he goes back to Hill. But uh, Kelsey's got nothing because this dude, Creekshank, whose name I might be mispronouncing yeah. in, absolutely mashed him at the line of scrimmage. Um, yeah, he was jamming him up. He was. I, I, I'm excited to, to see what Frank Reich does in this one because kind of just to you know wrap the Colts-Titans, I really love the Colts' skill players. Like If we think about the NFL like, in terms of triplets, the combination of Taylor, for all the reasons you just described, the way he's playing, running right now, 
really fun to watch from the end zone view, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Ali Cox and Pittman Jr., who is finally is also, I think, similarly to Taylor, like taking another leap and become that true X receiver that they wanted him to be when they drafted him. Uh, it, it's a really nice set of tools for or just you know pieces for Frank to Frank Reich to work with. I think the question just remains, you know, can Carson Wentz take care of the football? And which he did not do in the Niners game. He just got lucky. And um, because, you know, again, it's going to be a run first approach. I think it's just uh, every now and then he, they ask him to be a playmaker. And to me, you know, if he can do that in this game, they've got a shot. Right. And Carson Wentz gets in trouble still because he trusts his high level ability almost to his detriment at times. And that's what you get with all high level quarterbacks who have these rare physical tools is they believe they can extend plays long. Right. They can keep extending. They can keep forcing the football down the field because they trust their ability so much. And that's understandable. And it's tough as a coach because you have to try to coach them to simply yeah. play more within the structure. Look, the scheme's going to work. It's going to work. Yeah. Hey, deep ball is not there. Take the under. We'll go to the next play. But if I'm one of those guys, I understand it. Hey, no, I'm going to mm-hmm. throw the post. Right. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw the vertical. I'm going to take the shot here. Wait. I got to get rid of the football. No, I'm going to escape. I'm going to get outside and make something happen. And that still, yeah. at times, in some instances, leads to trouble for Carson Wentz. Uh, you, I mean, you see him fighting that instinct at every step of the way. But he's got guys in Pittman Jr. and Ali Cox who, who can, you know, he can throw it up. Like, I, I mean, I was kind of joking about the DPI approach, but like Pittman <laughs> will come down with it. Like he did. No, he, he's, he, a, he's a he physical player. He air. Yeah, I mean, granted, Drake Kirkpatrick might have played that worse than any cornerback I've ever seen in my life, yeah. but um, the other touchdown. But yeah, he got air. So, all right, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and talk about another very important AFC divisional matchup. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, Matt, 
as of Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, Baker Mayfield is taking reps, starting reps at practice. Um, I think he's going to play in this game. So it's it's almost it's. Let's talk about that side of the football first. Okay. It's hard to talk. It's hard hard to talk about what the offense will look like without knowing what his ability is at the moment. Um, if he was, because I was kind of thinking, okay, well, we saw what we got from Case Keenum, which is basically exactly what you expected, frankly. Right. Um, but Baker adds, I would say there's both a positive and negative variance, which is that he adds an actual explosive element to the passing game. But he also, you saw as he played through injury in recent weeks, um, I think actually it led him not only to be inaccurate at times, but also make some poor decisions. So I'm kind of, I, I, I don't even know, like we know, from a scheme perspective, what this Browns offense will look like, but I just don't know what the quarterback's going to look like in this game. Right. You know, I think with Baker, you get obviously a boost in the drop back passing game over Case Keenum. You get more movement ability. You know, Baker's one of the best at throwing on the run and throwing the ball accurately on the run. And you, you brought up explosive playability. I think with Baker Mayfield in there over Case Keenum, you'll see more scheme shot plays over the top. And with Kevin Stefanski's offense, it's usually early downs, first and second down usually ball between the 40s or right on the edge of the 40s. That's when they take their shots. And they're a lot of times two-man routes. They're max protection uh, because that's how their offensive line is built. Their offensive line is built to maul people up front and move them off the football. They're not built to be drop-back pass protectors 40 times a football game. So when they take their shots, they are schemed. They are scripted. And they are trying to create voids over the top or voids deep into the boundary. A lot of flood routes, which are three-level routes. You have a deep ball, an intermediate ball, someone underneath in the flat. And your shot plays are usually post-cross combinations. So you have a deep post over the top with a drag or a cross or coming back uh, across the field. And that gives Baker the ability to read high to low. And the reason he's a boost there is because he can push the ball down the field. And also the toughness he brings. You know, Baker plays with a physical element. He does. And you don't need to be Josh Allen to play with the physical element. You can be Baker Mayfield too. Because he does bring that and he brings a lot of intangibles to that offense. that so you can't just simply coach. You can't just simply recreate. And at the end of the day, me and we all know it is built out of the offensive line and that run game. And, you know, Nick Chubb is going to be practicing. Is it maybe going to be back this week? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the offensive line. He, will let's be say he's not. Yeah. yeah. Let's say he's not. Dernis Johnson told, told us the other night he can play too, <laughs> yeah. right? He for can sure. play too behind that offensive line. Now, I think Nick Chubb would have run for 220 against Denver uh, because <laughs> Nick Chubb is the top five running back in the NFL. But Ernest Johnson, I was impressed with that tape. He's talking yeah. about a guy who finishes runs, who's got some juice, got some lateral speed. He's a good football player. And if it is that, let's say Nick Chubb does play. I have a hard time believing coming off two weeks with a with a lower body leg injury, he's going to get 25 carries. So maybe his carries are, are cut down a little bit. And that's okay because Johnson can roll in this offense. I think the Steelers' defense, we talk about the other side of all a second, is actually pretty – well suited to play Cleveland, regardless of who's at quarterback. Um, you know, good against solid against the run, very good mm-hmm. defensive line. Um, if you get past that defensive line, you you start getting problems, I think, when it comes to tackling. But um, very good against the play action paths, uh, six best in the NFL. Just pulled that. Um their weaknesses are the corner group, right? I, well, yeah. I would say you can find holes in this secondary if you have time to attack it. Um, players like, you know, in that first game, I, Camp Sutton was so good, but I think you've seen, you've seen since then, oh, right, this is, 
guys, quarterbacks are going after you. You're, you're kind of saying, okay, the Steelers yeah. bet on trying to find value uh, and, uh, you know, surround Joe Hayden with kind of like um, up and coming players in, in the back. And I think it hasn't necessarily paid off. Uh, Fitzpatrick hasn't been the ball hawk that he's been in recent years, Mika Fitzpatrick. And I think as a result, you can, you can, you can attack them, but you know, I, I think the question to me is just, again, whether Mayfield's arm is set up for it because the whole, I, th- I believe the whole offensive line is back too, by the way. Um, both, I think Wills and Conklin are both going to play in this game. So separate yep. from the rushing attack, which I, I feel like is kind of be, will be what it is. And it always has been. Um, I'll be very curious to see how Baker looks attacking some of those weaker corners. I will. Uh, and also look how comfortable he is in the pocket. Yeah. That's the other thing. Because, I mean, you mentioned some of the issues Pittsburgh has had in the second half. They can still rush the passer. Yes. And they can still rush the passer. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Tennessee. If they fall behind or it's a negative game flow, and Baker has to drop back more often than he wants to, and true drop back situations where you are scheming your routes, but you're not scheming up vertical throws down the field to take a shot. Can they protect him? You know, can they protect? Mm. Can they stop TJ Watt? You know, can they handle Melvin Ingram? Can they handle Cam Hayward inside? You know, there's a lot of questions to ask there. I mean, like you said, the Browns offensive line will be healthy, but I want to see how comfortable he is and how much he can move. Yeah. Right. Cause they do, you know, you watch Cleveland, their play action pass game. It's a lot of boot. It's a lot of movement yep. for Baker too, but maybe yeah. that you know you know just thinking out here maybe that's the answer. Let's get him outside the pocket. You know you see it with Kirk Cousins all the time. I mean, they, Kirk Cousins sometimes rolls outside the numbers. You know? I mean he's like thirty yards in the pocket, right? They get him away from everyone, so he's got a clear read down the field, see it, throw it, trust it. So maybe we do see that with mm-hmm. Baker. And if they do boot him, it'll be interesting to see how the Steelers defend that, you know, something we've been talking about on this podcast is how defenses have kind of uh, changed the way that they're defending the boot this year uh, in terms of sending, you know, pursuing the quarterback. And uh, I think this, again, if it's, if Baker's injured, um, that is something to monitor. You're right. Not just his arm strength, but also his mobility. Um, no questions about Ben Roethlisberger's mobility. It does not exist. Uh, I, so so they got a couple of things kind of going for them in, in recent weeks. I would say better play from the offensive line. Grant, granted, you know, opponents are pretty relevant here, Seattle. <laughs> um, but the I, I do think the offensive line has looked better, created a little bit more air and room for um, Najee Harris to run the ball. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm still not particularly optimistic about uh, an offense that lost Juju Smith-Schuster. So it's going to be the Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Pat Firemuth, who's also kind of emerged a little bit yeah. show. Yeah. Um, for me, Matt, I'm very curious. This is a Browns defense that started hot, then really struggled. But especially I would say, and this and this is something I think you've probably noticed a lot, in, in the back, uh, uh, the secondary, just coverage bus, miscommunication, play from John mm-hmm. Johnson, the safety that really has befuddled me relative to what I saw from him in Los Angeles. But then in the last week against the Broncos, um, they really, the defense, you know, a pass rush has been very good since, since the beginning of the season, uh, combination of Clowney and Garrett, obviously nightmare. Yeah. What I want to see is, can they sustain the level of secondary play that we saw last week? Because to me, that's the difference between, is this team a playoff team or are they actual contenders? I agree with that. Um, and Abusa Cormo is out too. Yeah. And, oh, know, I hate that's that. That's a big loss for them. He's my fave. Because, yeah, he's a really good player at the second level. Second level range. You can pressure him. You can match underneath. A really good football player to be playing at that level this young in his career. 
I agree on the secondary. Uh, some, you know, secondary to me is a lot like the offensive line. I think those two most important units in football in terms of chemistry and communication. I know that term chemistry gets thrown around a lot of times as a mean crap, but uh, in those two groups, it does because you have to be on the same page. You have to know each other very well, what your strengths and weaknesses are. And, and it takes time to gel. And maybe we are seeing the start of that from Cleveland. But I'll tell you what, with Pittsburgh, that's a tough offense to watch. A tough offense yeah. to watch in the past game. Because I remember in the preseason, first preseason game, obviously Big Ben wasn't playing. We're talking about the new offensive system under Matt Canada. A lot of motion movement, right? Jets, getting get misdirection, getting the quarterback. We're not seeing that, Mina. We're not. I mean, if you go through, if I go through on my computer, I'm t- we have these, I get my my tape from NFL Films, and I type in Ben Roethlisberger plus 10-yard throw, so 10 yards or more. It's all in the gun. It's gone in quick throws. It's the same stuff. You know, he's relying so much on guys to make plays for him. So if I'm big Ben Rosberg, I'm throwing it to Chase Claypool. You got to get up the field. You got to you got to create an explosive play in your own. Now again, just like we saw last year, what are their vertical throws? They're one on ones. Yeah. Throw the one one ball outside. You got to win. You got to win. And right now, and everyone would agree with me, uh, at this stage of his career, Big Ben's traits have really diminished in terms of his arm talent and his mobility. So uh, it's a tough offense to watch. But you brought up a good point. The offensive line is getting better. Najee Harris, what Najee Harris is, he's not an explosive play runner. He is a guy that can, when he creates explosive plays, they're 15 to 20 yards because he's physical. He can work through traffic. He's got great vision. Keeps his shoulders square. It's a long day of work to tackle him. Mm. He's a physical, aggressive, decisive runner, what he is. And you're seeing more of that now. But your question about matching the secondary, it's going to be matching the one-on-ones outside. It's going to be able to ability to play 50-50 balls against Chase Claypool, to stay with Deontay Johnson, to tackle after the catch. It's going to be a lot of unders. If you don't tackle against a team that does not want to push the ball down the field schematically, it's going to be, can we tackle? Can we tackle and get off the field? So So it really really is just about tackling and less about communication in this one. Because, like, we know what Ben's going to do. We we know exactly what the Steelers' offense is going to look like. question is, can the Browns' back seven actually just tackle, execute, um, you know, not get run over by Chase Claypool, like you said? So – with Awusa Cormo out, I guess Mac Wilson, who I thought has played decently well, will be in at yeah. linebacker. But yeah, it's I think not like the ultimate test, perhaps in the Browns secondary, but uh, an important one nevertheless to kind still of be tested. Though I mean, I mean you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna battle Chase Claypool four quarters, you're gonna be tested. Deontay Johnson, you're gonna be tested. There's no question about that. Those guys will test you, but I think it's gonna be more one-on-one throws, more underneath throws. You say okay. Let's see who wins in space, right? Yeah, that's Let's a good see point. who wins in space. And remember, Cleveland is a very zone-heavy defense. It's what they are. They're a split safety defense. That, again, everyone plays man. Everyone in the world plays man. But how much man you play? It's one of the few teams that really really are truly man defenses in the NFL. So with Cleveland, it's going to be zones. There's going to be underneath windows. There's going to be cro- – Big Ben will probably throw 15 crossers in this game at a depth of about three to five yards. And now it's going to come down to can we take the proper angle – can we cut off the football? Can we pursue and have inside and outside help and get the guy on the ground so we can get off the field? Well, I think this is this is a great like where Johnson like th- that is the role he should be playing. Frank, like this is the kind of game that he should excel in. Uh, John Johnson, who I'm speaking of, um, yeah. defensively. So because I think it's uh, sometimes when watching this is a whole separate conversation, but sometimes watching the Cleveland defense, I feel like he's playing from too much depth relative to how he played. Uh, with the Rams, um, I know you know Grant Delpit's still coming on. Obviously, he was injured. Who's more of a free, true free safety for them? 
Um, but again, like that's not gonna be an issue in this game. It's not, unfortunately. All right, I, 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 I know you got to run. I want to get your thoughts really quickly though on Thursday night football, which looked like such a great game, and it now it's just there's so many issues with this Cardinals Packers yeah. game. And I, and, and I was really hoping Matt, this would be like, okay, how good are the Cardinals really game? I understand they're undefeated. I understand they, they deservedly belong right. in the most top of most power rankings, but I was really hoping to see them tested, particularly on defense. So let's just start right. there and we'll get through this quickly. JJ Watt is out and yeah. on offense for the Packers, Devonte Adams most likely out, barring some kind of miraculous negative back-to-back COVID test. Alan Lazard is out. MVS might play, traveling with them. Um, right. Anyone who's listened to sports radio over the last few days has heard Aaron Rodgers in 6-0 without Devontae Adams probably 100 times, um, which is, I, I think, actually kind of interesting and to me speaks more to Matt LaFleur's scheme than anything in recent years. I agree 100%. Yeah, so let's talk about it. I mean, do you think the Packers – I actually think the Packers' offense is going to be fine, and I'm more worried about the Packers' defense. How do you feel? Yeah, I would agree because if you look back last year, maybe it was week two, week three, when they went down in New Orleans and played without Devontae Adams, and Rodgers lit up the Saints, right? Now, obviously, Alan Lazard did play in that football game. He made some catches down the field. But it was really Aaron Rodgers playing pretty strictly within the structure of Matt yep. LaFleur's offense. 100%. Really defined throws, really defined raids off play action. Using Aaron Jones in the pass game, that has to happen given uh, the players they could be missing this week. The one question I have, because Rodgers and Tom Brady are the best at this in the NFL, it's identifying and throwing the one-on-ones when they happen. That's usually Devontae Adams. Hey, you, know, you show single high with Devontae Adams in the slot, forget about it. First of all, yeah. what are you doing? Why are you showing him that? <laughs> and then now you're done. He's going to throw uh, the slot fade yeah. on you. So can that be MVS? If MBS is up and he dresses for this football game, can that be MBS? We saw it early in the year when they played San Francisco, right? So that's the one thing that would be missing is Rodgers because he's so good at that. He knows where you're going. He, he can see if you're lined up in it or late rotation, a single high, he's going to find that one-on-one. He's going to put the ball exactly where he wants to go. So your defensive back, you come to the sideline, coach is yelling at you. You say, coach, what do you want me to do? Good throw, good catch. Score, you know, what do you want me to do right now? So that would be missing. But I do believe they can compete and win that football game because of Matt LaFleur's system and how he will scheme against Arizona to give Rodgers those defined throws where you can still work the tight end. If, if St. Brown's up, you can still work St. Brown. Do we yeah. get Amari Rodgers going? I don't know. I don't know. Do we get Aaron Jones <laughs> flexing the formation? I don't know because this is such a unique situation. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you still have number 12. When well, you have and number that- 12. Yes. And I think that also is the other thing, just matchup specific, like mentally, uh, the Arizona defense under Vance Joseph is so aggressive, uh, attacking both the pass and the run and creative and aggressive. Uh, If there's a quarterback in this league who I feel like can punish them, frankly, for some of that aggression, uh, some of the blitzing they do, and it would be Aaron Rodgers. Um, So, you know, we'll see. I no, JJ Watt is also very big because he's quietly been very good. I, I, I'll just let's yeah, wrap but... here. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think the Packers' defense is very good. Um, I w- watched Washington, the Washington game on Tuesday. I didn't watch it on Sunday when it happened, and I think I saw the score and I was like, oh, okay, Packers, great, good job. And then I watched them and I'm like, wait, Taylor Heineke, they should have put up so many points on this defense. They um, they just struggled in the red zone, but outside of the red zone, I just Grabbed it. Uh, they were allowing the worst first down, down rate in the NFL this weekend, 7.7 yards per play. Heineke ran all over them. 
here comes Kyler Murray. I, I don't feel I, yeah. look. They they like they they really found something with Devondre Campbell. I'll, I'll say that the linebacker and Rashawn yeah, Gary yeah. had a great game, but I just mm-hmm. don't think right now with Zarius Smith out. I don't know what the status is of Preston Smith and Kevin King for this game, and then of course Jair Alexander is still out. I just don't think they have the guys to compete with Arizona on offense. Yeah, it's tough because here's the thing about Kyler Murray right now. We know he has dynamic ability. Uh, maybe the best dynamic ability of any quarterback outside of Lamar Jackson in the NFL right now. So he can threaten you as a runner, whether design runs or especially escaping from the pocket. But what he's doing this year, in my opinion, I, I would call him this, he's a ball distributor from the pocket. That's what he is. He's throwing a ball on time. He's seeing it. He's hitting the scheme throws in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. And they're very productive in the passing because they can spread the ball around to multiple targets. And Cliff Kingsbury is doing an excellent job of scheming. Everyone thinks Cliff Kingsbury like you're playing Madden or something. You know, and there still will be some four-by-one quad sets and some cool stuff, right? There'll still be that stuff. There's a lot of motion and movement. But at the end of the day, when you break it down, they're throwing the ball on 11 personnel. They're throwing the ball out of 12 personnel. They have yeah. a physical element to them in the That's run game right yeah. now, too. They do. This is, regardless of Cliff Kingsbury coaching Texas Tech, right now you would look at his offense and say, that is a modern pro offense with some college elements in it, of course. You understand that because you have to cater to an electric talent at the quarterback position in college. But he is so good right now, I mean, throwing from the pocket. And there's layers of throws out there. They will layer the, the, the reads for Kyler so we can read high to low, whether two level or three level. And guys are open. And there's a lot of open grass for these guys right now. I think yeah. Kingsbury's done an excellent job with uh, Kyler in this offense. I probably owe him an apology at some point because I was really hard on him uh, earlier in the season and last year. And I've also noticed that and had to probably have to eat a little crow. Just one more thing I thought I have kind of stemming from the Washington game. I expect uh, the Packers defense, who also, by the way, is without Joe Barry, your defensive coordinator, another COVID thing. Uh, I expect them to go light in this game and to – in an effort to contain Kyler. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if you, you alluded to a little bit to the Cardinals use of 12 personnel. I wouldn't be surprised if Ertz and also the running backs have a big day. Yeah. And don't be surprised if Clay Springsbury goes run heavy at times. Cause that's yeah. what you have to do in this league. I mean, no totally. one likes to talk about running the ball. I mean, I understand that, but <laughs> it's not really about running the ball. It's about, you know, what you can do at the line of scrimmage, forcing people to tackle. Exactly. Mirroring your run and pass game together. So if I'm a linebacker, if I'm a safety, they all look the same to me. Because here's the thing. If you look at the numbers, they're really play-action heavy, Arizona's this year. Play-action-based passing. Now, it's different play-action. It's not it's not Baker Mayfield play-action, okay? But it's play-action out of the gun. There's still an influence there because, again, all the motion and movement they use. And the player I'm always excited, I think you're on the same page here to watch, is hasn't had a ton of production, but how Rondell Moore deployed. Oh. And for a national audience this Thursday night to see how he's deployed, because you talk about electric ability when the football is in his hand. I mean, he can go now. <laughs> he can, you don't want to be a safety tackle in the middle field. You don't. And they and, can use them. We did it in our draft show for matchup. We called it motion movement targets. And guys, you could throw the ball to. I've seen the route tree, backfield alignment, jet sweeps, fly sweeps, screens, manufactured touches for them because you have to. Because you look at your game plan going in and say, I don't have enough for Rondell in here. I got to get more because he can threaten people. He no, can threaten you, people as influence, a runner or a receiver. The, the influence you can watch on every play. He he creates gravity on just the threat of a Rondell Moore screen now completely influences the way defenses play 
the Cardinals. It's honestly, it's listen, listen. I'm just impressed that you mentioned a uh, a Purdue player after what they did to your uh, your <laughs> Iowa football team. Oh, but come uh, on, man. <laughs> you brought them up, not me. No, uh, Matt. I, I'm going to stick around and, and uh, handle a few more questions. But I know you got to run. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about these games with me. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? All right, guys. We still got Dinks and Dunks. Dinks and Dunks are a part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. So, guys, uh, this week I had a limited time with Matt, and so I wanted to spend that time talking about football with him and because the games are so good instead of, um, well, having him answer questions from my dog. So we decided to flip it a little bit. <laughs> and um, I will be taking questions this week. And you don't get to hear his voice a lot, but the producer of this show, one Dan Stanzik, well, he gets to, he gets the mic. I'm a little nervous about Here that. Here we go. What's up, Mina? Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm great. Five questions. Last one, of course, from Lenny. Question one, <laughs> I, NFL I, trade deadline this Tuesday. I'm going to give you two options here. Who's the biggest name that's going to get traded or who is the biggest name that you would like to see traded? First of all, okay, just before we get even to this, how did you even get a question from Lenny? Because it's not, you don't even, you guys don't even text, you don't talk. I oh, don't, no, he's he's on the show emails. You don't know this? I didn't know he was on the show email. I didn't even know there yeah, were he, show he emails. Hit you, you said there were show emails, but I'm not on the show emails. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, we text a lot. All right. Uh, you asked about the trade deadline. <laughs> So um, you said we'll get traded and what I like to see. So I think uh, it's very plausible. We've heard a lot of noise around a Marlon Mack trade. I don't know if that's a big name necessarily, but not really. Jonathan Taylor's back up. And, um, you know, the Ravens, as much as it looks at it at times, I think not this last week or the previous week against L.A., that the run game is turnkey. I think a lot of that, by the way, had to do with the L.A., the Chargers run defense. Um, I do think they're missing really sort of what J.K. Dobbins brought to the table for them. And I think Marlon Mack has some of those traits. So I think I don't think it would take much, frankly, for the Ravens to get. Oh, I should have mentioned Gus Edwards, too, by the way. I don't think it would take a ton of draft capital. And I think that would be a, a likely very plausible trade. And then other names you're hearing a lot. Brandon Cooks, basically anyone on the Texans, obviously. Um, and then Andre Dillard. Also, I think is a name, the uh, tackle for the Eagles. Uh, so something I would like to see, I, I just suggested this. I, I kind of threw it out there and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, Stephon Gilmore, the Panthers Ooh. traded for him. The Panthers weren't good. So they traded very little. I think I believe it was a six rounder for him. And look, they, that was partially because JC Horn is injured now for the season, who was the press man core they drafted in the first round. But if I'm Carolina, I see if I can flip Gilmore because there are so many contenders that need cornerbacks and secondary help. And, you know, he he will be coming back, I think, pretty soon. So, I like, man, if some team is willing to give you, like, I don't know, a third, that's a nice piece of business. Uh, no, I like yeah, it. Yeah, so it's, you know, like a little bit of a little, little wheeling and dealing. So put that out into the universe. There you go. Just be the middleman. Question two, I mean, as you know, I'm a New York Giants fan. A year from now, week eight, who's the starting quarterback? I think it's going to be still Daniel Jones. Yeah, I mean, I, I the thing is, Daniel Jones actually played pretty well this year. I do not think he is the problem in New York. I don't think necessarily he's the solution. I don't think, like, I, I do question where his ceiling is, but 
I think he's shown enough to where like as a, unless you don't want to depend on the draft this coming season. It's not a good quarterback draft. Obviously, we'll talk about that a lot in the coming months. Um, and I also think I don't think there's going to be enough movement or any free agents that offer a better option. Interesting. Two first round draft picks for the Giants, thanks to the Justin Fields trade. Yeah, send them elsewhere. Uh, question three. <laughs> Everybody knows your favorite TV show, or one of them anyway, HBO's Succession, season three, mm-hmm. two episodes in. Can we get a spoiler-free review? I haven't seen the second episode, so I was actually Neither have I. freaking out that you... I was worried that you were about to spoil it for me. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'll just give you a review of the show. I mean, I like. I, I thought the premiere was excellent, although I, I take... I take um, a little bit of issue. I don't think this is a spoiler. Listen, if you haven't seen the first episode of Succession, which was like two weeks ago, A, don't complain. B, stop listening right now. Um, I feel like they're making Kendall like a little bit too pathetic. Uh, Or not pathetic is the wrong word, but like doofy. Like he's always been kind of doofy, but I felt like his doof level was just excessive in the first level. Do you agree? Who says I've never killed a man? Oh my God. Uh, but just like the, I'm, I might be the greatest man, surrounded by so many smart women. Also, you know I'm a Kyle Shanna fan, aka Shanna Stan. But once people pointed out that he basically looks identical to Kendall, it's actually kind of ruining Kyle Shanahan for me. Where like they flashed him on the sidelines, and I no longer trust him. Oh, I love it. So if we get a, a movie of the 28 to three Super Bowl, he's playing Shanahan, huh? I mean, he should play Shanahan in any, yeah, any movie. Well, I, I was about. trying to think of what movie Shanahan would be in. What yeah. sporting event Shanahan's related to? I think that's the one. Feels like a movie about the Patriots dynasty in which he gets like, there's like a four minute scene or something. But yeah, Jeremy's and, You know, the wrong. phone call from Belichick saying, I'm going to trade you Jimmy Garoppolo. Just give me a second round pick. Um, question four, moving on. Woo. Content recommendation. Oh, you ask people for it all the time. Give me your favorite non-football podcast that you listen to. Oh, wow. Okay, I'll just pull up my podcasts. I most, so well, you said non-football. I listen to a lot of basketball podcasts. I've- shared this before. I almost exclusively listen to basketball podcasts. I listen to the the low post, which I believe you produce, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to the mismatch, which is Kevin O'Connor's podcast. I listen to a podcast called the glue guys, which is a Brooklyn Nets podcast. Oh, Shout there we go. Brooklyn Nets. Um, and then I listen to the, this is crazy. This is going to blow your mind. It's this little known podcast called the daily from the New York times. You probably never heard of it. It's you know a little bit under the radar, but um, I listen to that. I, I that one, it's like on an episode by episode basis. I'm like, ooh, Kristen Cinema episode. Maybe not this week or today, rather. <laughs> but you know, I just kind of bounce around. Yeah. But yeah, what about I, you? I feel like you're a big pod guy. What do you listen to? I have the same approach to the daily, and I know Pablo Torre's out there somewhere hoping that you had said ESPN daily. I also listen to yourself, ESPN but, daily. Okay, yeah, you got to get that in there. Smart, Mina. Um, my favorite podcast, not ESPN division, is the Press Box uh, from The Ringer oh, yeah. with uh, Brian yeah. Curtis and David Shoemaker. He's such an odd Check guy. it out. <laughs> Check it out. Um, all right, question five. Last question comes from Lenny, as you know. Emailed this one to me. Uh, <laughs> Emailed it to you. May or may not exist. Yep, straight to me. Um, Lenny follows you on social media, like a good son would. And he saw that you spent some quality time with Field Yates' dog, Cisco, this week. true. So Lenny said, ask my mom if she wants me to bring a pillow out to the doghouse because that's where she'll be sleeping all week. (laughs) Um, Lenny, listen, I I like Cisco. I know Field listens to this pod, so I don't want to insult him. 
but he does not compare to Lenny. I mean, he's great, cute, classic, all-American, good boy, you know, but Lenny's got that, you know, that special something that uh, it's just that no other dog possesses. Good try. You're still in the doghouse.